I have two introductions to make today. First is my new jingle. I recently did a podcast with Omushin Jash, a writer and singer-songwriter from Kenya, who I commissioned to make me a jingle in the traditional form of his people and to mix English and Luo both into the jingle using traditional instruments. The result is this sublime piece. Thank you, Omish, and your studio for making it happen. In this episode, Lilek and I talk more specifically about issues of identity and how identity crises can be addressed by applying simple exercises and tackling simple questions. The exercises and questions are simple, the answers and results can be everything but. Some of the thoughts that came out of our talk hit me because what may at first seem oddly counterintuitive may strike exactly at the heart of the matter. Lilek speaks about communities and her own experiences in Plum Village, not Valley, and so the question arises, if we are talking about individual identity, how does an entire community assist in strengthening this concept of the self? Am I myself for me, or am I me for others? Do I exist to express my inner self, or do I exercise the expression of an outer self others expect from me? This is only a small part of our talk today, but if you have questions of identity, talk about it with people you know and love and support. The worst thing we can do in times of perceived weakness is try to hide that weakness. In reality, that weakness may be an opening towards a greater reality. We just need to open it. As always, Lilek, thank you very much for your time and insightful thoughts. I'm joined by Lilek for a fifth time, which is fantastic. How are you, Lilek? Uh, good. I'm I'm happy to talk to you and uh, really, yeah, curious about uh, where it's going today. Yeah, yeah, it is a bit crazy. Even in our pre-podcast uh, conversation, we yeah meandered through the the countryside of identity, and uh, it was uh, yeah that was interesting. I wish I, I should have recorded that as well. But uh, before we get to the topic, though. Um, we met again not so long ago to participate in this uh, quite large, I think 25,000 strong Fridays for Future uh, general demonstration as it was uh, in Berlin. Any thoughts on that event? Well, um, it was larger than we had expected, not as large as it should be. And we, I think, uh, me included, but also the other Earth Holders, because you joined the Earth Holders, which was really nice, because it's nice to connect the worlds and people and just to, yeah, see each other face to face. Mm. But we thought it was quite noisy. We we all <laughs> felt it was really, really noisy. And we've been to other demonstrations before. Why are you laughing? It, it's really the... funny. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> It, it, it seemed the, noisier yeah, it, than any other demonstration before. 
<laughs> I, I know. I find it funny because for me, demonstrations, uh, I've always participated in kind, like kind of noisy demonstrations. But I, I just thought because I remember the um, um, our walk that we did, um, the, the deep, deep time walk, deep time walk, and that's that's like a silent walk. And so, that, so therefore, I think oh. Uh, do the earth holders do everything in silence? Um, but uh, yeah, clearly not. But um, well, yeah. we just participated in another demonstration in Hanover uh, because okay. one of the earth holders uh, lives in Hanover and and she founded I met the her. Han- yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the the earth holders Hanover she founded them and so she comes to Berlin regularly and she invited us to come to Hanover because there's a there, there's a big thing going on um, about a road being being built or broadened and of course uh, nature has to has to vanish will be destroyed whatever so and in, in in that demonstration she said okay we'll be the mindful block or the mindfulness block at the right at the end and we will we will be in silence which worked more or less because she was meeting people and talking to them but it was quite it was quite relaxed and and quite silent and um so that was that was our conclusion from the from the experience that we had with the Fridays for Future demo sure sure no i i get it and to i mean i actually i'm yeah i don't really like too much crazy noise happening around me because um i first of all i can't focus on what people uh, say to me because i can't hear anything if there's background noise um, and then also, if there's a lot of noise, then I get a headache. But for some reason, I I kind of welcomed the the, the noise. Um, the, I, I found there were a lot of young people. There were lots of interesting ch- chants. I think some of the chants are quite humorous. I, maybe I don't know. Um, I, I find it quite amusing because they like they said like give me a whatever, and they spelled out the name of a fossil fuel company, and they said, well, what does that spell? And the answer was shit. And <laughs> I thought that was quite amusing. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's so, quite humorous, quite nice. Yeah. No, I'm not against it, and I think those Fridays for Future demos they're not aggressive or something, right? But mm. at the same time, there's so much noise going on in the city, and and then you're in the middle of it, and sometimes there's just too much going on, let's say. And I think we have to have both. We have it, it. It is really great to have a silent walk or a walking meditation, which we uh, do regularly, like also in the heart of Berlin, and then to have a, a demo with um, a good vibe, but also a strong vibe and political statements. I think that's that's really something that that also has the right or the need to be there. And at the same time, in our society, we have so much noise going on inside and outside so we actually need more silence and we need more concentration so i think we need more of the other one without without saying that that the the noisy one or the more outward going one is um is obsolete no, no i i get that of course um and what's also quite interesting um as i kind of and you've definitely helped me on this path of sort of self-education, as it were. So you, 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 you've. Uh, well, when we first met, uh, I was, I thought I was meeting this Polish dude who's going to tell me about Extinction Rebellion, and in exactly. fact, I, I met uh, Lilek from Earthholders, um, and telling me completely different things. 
Um, but, you, you know, we kind of got into a bit more of the detail of, and I keep getting this wrong, it's Plum Valley, right? Not Plum Village, it's Plum Valley. It's yeah? Plum Village, actually. It, sorry, it's Plum Village. Why do I keep saying Plum? Um, is there a valley somewhere nearby? Mm, there are many vineyards, not okay. valley. Plum ah. Vineyard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, plum but village. we don't drink wine there. You know, we're surrounded by wine, but uh, it's a non-alcohol policy, of course, because you want to keep your mind fresh and clean or course. clear. Yeah, yes. of course, of course. Okay, it is Plum Village. Then why do I keep saying Valley? I don't know what's wrong with me. Anyway, okay, Plum Village, um, and, and and that kind of further, you know, pushed the door open towards uh, trying to understand. Uh, some of the the Buddhist and through that also yoga uh, for me at least was a, a point of interest uh, and I've, I've I've been reading up on these these things and um, the art of meditation so you also talk about meditative walks so therefore the meditative walk silence enables an individual to channel their thoughts inward if I'm not mistaken and to be able to kind of assess where they are sort of spiritually physically one book that i read um the the author said that because our sort of hectic lives are so they kind of develop imbalances within us and we don't often understand what our bodies are telling us and if you sit down and you try to engage in silent um, meditation you actually start to feel pains in your exactly. body yeah okay um so that's what i mean this, there is this kind of inward investigation understanding who we are re sort of recreating the connection between mind and body um and this is this also perhaps the difference between one side the meditation in silence we all understand who we are what we are doing what our purpose is whereas the fridays for future is a kind of external communication of collective wish can i make that generalization no of course you can't uh, <laughs> but in a way it's going in the maybe in the right direction the thing is that like the art is to stay connected with yourself while engaging with the so-called outer world and the i think the the problem is more that we um, lose this connection. We lose connection with ourselves because we get lost in the sensations and in the in the stimuli in uh, stimuli um, that we that we receive and that we process. And for example, in a demonstration, of course, it is even harder because there's so much going on, and you need more concentration, you need more focus, you need more anchoring. And this is what you can practice when you do meditation in a in a more um, silent space and with people who are experienced so you can collectively create a field of concentration and consciousness and if you see well if if you when you see uh, videos of Thich Nhat Hanh or you, ha you had didn't have the chance to meet him but doing a walking meditation with this person what was just incredible because his concentration was so strong he was so rooted in himself and in the present moment that um that 
people could like dive a tap into that concentration and just just uh, be in that field and this is of course the fruit of years of practice um, but this is also why you need to be silent and still from time to time to be able to recreate that also in more difficult conditions and of course this is why the, there is a big focus on the sangha on the community because we need a community of practitioners who are also mindful or trying to be mindful and who can practice together and that that doesn't have to be a religious tradition for me that's a spiritual practice and you can do that just sitting silently at the at the table drinking coffee and just enjoying each other's presence right and enjoying your your breathing and sometimes it's it's better not to talk because in this way you can be connected with yourself and with the other person and you don't lose yourself in in talking and conversations or whatever and i think we we can we can have uh, more balance in that in in having like silent times times and and solo times where we are with by ourselves or with and with ourselves and then community times or partner times or whatever right and so um it it is it is our our well goal to to stay rooted in the present moment and in ourselves even when going to such a demonstration and um, th this way you can you can be outside and inside at the same time but it will be different your your actions will be different your manners will be different right yeah completely and, and what i often find uh, i i love the fact that you you kind of slap me down when my mind takes on this uh, ridiculously creative uh, element and starts to push my own ideas into uh, a 4000 year old tradition. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, it's yeah, it survived for a reason. Yeah. Um, so um, one point to refer back to kind of what you were saying earlier, um, but also because it was presented in this book too. So B Buddhism, or at least the, the Buddhist teachings that I read about, um, they don't push people towards Buddhism. As in, if you go and do yoga, or if you do spiritual yoga, or if you try, if you go to a, a meditation session with with a community, you don't suddenly have to change religion, become a Buddhist. As in, the spirituality doesn't necessarily have to follow a specific religious doctrine it, you can be have any kind of belief or no belief it, it doesn't matter it, did i understand that correctly what i find very what i found and still find very attractive about the buddha's teachings was and is that he said or in in the in the writings it says that that he said ehi pasiko come and see for yourself you have to come listen to the teachings and then put them into practice and there you can you can you can prove them you can you can see if they work for you for you and of course not everything works for the same person that's what you said before we started right i think yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that we have to have different approaches because people's minds are so different so the the buddha taught in very very different ways uh, so that he could reach many different people. 
and different minds and mindsets. And I, I loved it that it was, in a way, it's very scientific. You have to find proofs for yourself within yourself and you have to train your mind. And, you, and we know now with brain science that we can, right? That the that we have a lot of um, fluidity, a lot of uh, plasticity in, in, our, in our brains and that we can use that and that meditation changes our brain structure, the way that our neuro neurons fire and connect and whatever. So so this this I found very modern, extremely modern, and that, that attracted me because also it was not only a very structured way of teaching or of um, putting things and explaining things, but it also included the heart. You have also a lot of practice uh, or teachings about compassion and about living together in community and communicating and whatever. And this is also an emphasis of Thich Nhat Hanh, for example. He founded this community Plum Village because he wanted, uh, he wanted mindfulness to be engaged and applied this is why it's called applied buddhism and he said uh, to refer to what you er said earlier he said you don't have to become a buddhist you can practice mindfulness and it can make you a better christian or people came to him and said tai do i have to give up uh, my my christian faith to practice here and he said no of course not and you can use the bell, the church bell, as a mindfulness bell. You can use the rituals that you already have, that you're connected with and that come from your ancestors, your roots, your spiritual roots. You can use them or you can practice them and just be more mindful. This is the, the, the whole thing. This is the, the, the spirit. And so this is what I love, that mindfulness, in a way, is very secular because it can be applied it is just a way of being mindful of and also being alert, concentrated. You can do that with everything. Yeah, the depth, the sheer depth and volume of material that there is for traditional um, Buddhist teachings, but also these practices. Um, and, and I can only imagine that with, with the applied Buddhism that you talk about from Plum Village, I mean, there is some kind of scripture, is there, that uh, has been laid down or there are books that have been presented by your your guru? Yeah, I don't call him guru. Yeah, my teacher. Tai means okay. teacher. Um, guru is more of a, a, a Hindi, a yogic, yogic way of saying, but it's, it's a, yeah, it's my teacher. Yeah, of course, he wrote many books or let's say he wrote some books and then he gave many talks and his disciples, like the monks and nuns, they compiled the talks and they made books out of the talks. But in a in a way, it is a, it, it is a Zen tradition and Zen was was actually a very rebellious uh, stream within the Buddhist tradition because they said we don't need scriptures we don't need to have texts. We need the enlight We need enlightenment in the present moment. And all we need is already there in the present moment. There is nothing to attain. There is nothing to to run after. If you run after enlightenment, you will be as unenlightened as ever because you always run after something. You can never attain it in the present moment if your mind is directed towards the future. And so Zen started out without all of those scriptures and of course
course, now there are many, after hundreds of years, we have Zen teachings and also books. Uh, but it's it's not like the Pali Canon or like the traditional Buddhist texts, which, uh, by the way, Thich Nhat Hanh refers to, and he 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 read them, and he was a very big scholar too. But Zen in itself is very much, it's now, everything is now, you know. And this is also what I like. It's very fresh and very. You always have the the opportunity and also the um, the duty in a way to come back to the present moment if you want to live your life to the fullest yeah this is something which we we've commented upon you've spoken about excuse me mindfulness before and so the and the moment um and i also read about it in this book um being in the moment this is I would I want to talk about this more, but I think I'm not aware enough fully of the concept because I, I, I have this practicality limitation um, being in the moment and yet still making plans for next week and so on. Um, and, and yeah, so I, I need to address my kind of limitations on understanding this exactly like in the proper manner um, and then we can come back and talk about it. Is that all right? I think you're the only you're the only person on this planet with this problem. No one else thinks about making <laughs> lists and what to do next week, what to eat for breakfast when they sit in meditation. I like to be No, what I but but let let me tell you what I love another thing that I love about Ignatan's teaching is that he says we we don't have to be full-time Buddha like the fully in person fully enlightened person we can all be part-time buddhas every time we're we're mindful every time we're aware we're present we are a buddha in a way right we have the mind fully in the present moment and even if it's only for a second so it is enough to be a part-time buddha and it is also nothing that you attain once and for all and it doesn't go away or like enlightenment is, is not something something uh, solid it is fluid and it, it is it has to be sustained he also said the buddha and this is revolutionary the buddha had to practice too he had to be mindful to stay aware and so mindfulness never ends and even if you only take one mindful breath you're more mindful than before or in this moment you're mindful right and and this is maybe something that you you can we can practice it right now right and you don't have to be more advanced or whatever to to understand or to practice let's say mm, okay all right so how would we practice that now that now that you've set up this challenge well you can close your eyes okay become aware of your feet and your buttocks that touch the the chair yeah and feel your breath and be aware that we are alive in this moment because we're breathing and we're sensing And this present moment is a wonderful moment. 
Yeah, I, I can do this because I've, I've done a, a bit of yoga now. So therefore, I, but I tell you what, about a year ago, if you'd asked me to close my eyes, breathe and feel my buttocks, I would have completely fallen off the chair laughing. But uh, I, I kind of learned how to breathe this year or the end of last year um, or relearned how to breathe, as it were, because before it, breathing was just an involuntary function of my anatomy, whereas um if you want to improve your fitness, if you want to um, energize your body, if you want to be able to focus, um, learning how to breathe properly can really just increase your just your abilities and your awareness in amazing ways I, I just never had thought of before. So I'm getting there. I'm getting it's a there. practice, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's so many more questions I would ask, but we, we that's not what we were <laughs> that's not what we were supposed to talk about. But anyway, we we were there, so I'm enjoying the moment. I'm aware of that. Um, identity, yeah. So I, I've had a lot of talks in in the last few okay months. This is something that we I've I've struggled with with other people more than me. I've had lots of people come up to me in there in my life, and they say, "Man, I I don't know who I am." I don't know if I'm this, I find that, if I'm so on and, and you know, and and on the other, in, in different ways, people have always come up to me and said, Zach, you seem like such a confident person and so on. I think I feel, I've always said I'm, I'm, I'm not confident in this crazy way that people might think. It's just that I feel comfortable with who I am. Um, I've never really had an identity crisis, but lots and lots of people do. Um, and, and I find that quite interesting because it also plays a very key part in some of the things that I've read about yoga and Buddhism. Who are we? Who am I? Are, are these issues that you've you've addressed yourself and are completely at ease with? And therefore, um, is this like a, a part of the process that everybody has to encounter? Well, those were many questions. Which yeah, one should sorry. I ask first? You, you, just, uh, I mean, answer just pick first. them out. Pick pick them out. You 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 do what you do. I, um, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've I've been through some identity crisis. Um, I think I'm 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 looking for my way right right now. Um, for the last months, and I think the the question is also how to deal with that. And for example, meditation helps you to be with what is there, even though it might be very uncomfortable and you might not want to experience that. But it is what is there in the moment. And if you can make space for that, uh, then you can also go through it and you can accept that you don't know who the hell you are at the moment and this is just where you're at and you might have some confidence in finding your way when you if you just continue if you just continue your practice and like this is something that the the monks and nuns say no matter where you're at in your life, just just continue the practice. It is not not a problem when you're on the path of practice. It's not a problem when you stop or when you go back. The problem is when you leave the path. As long as you're on the path, you can you can never 
completely lose lose it right and so sometimes you're on the path you don't know where you're going you don't know where you are if you're in a forest or in a valley uh, or wh wherever uh, but you know that you have the path you have the practice and that's your anchor so I think that this is maybe the the difference between a practitioner and a non-practitioner. And of course, you have a community that helps you also. Mm, that that is part of your identity, right? And at the same time, this this topic is so vast, but I can maybe talk briefly about my own experience. I, I lived in Plum Village for seven, eight months and I experienced what it means to not identify so much as an individual. I mean, you have to know also who you are as a monk or a nun, but at the same time, it is not so important uh, what you achieve and how great you are and whatever, but also what you do for the community. And you can always rely on the community as as much as the community relies on you so it's a it's a vice versa process because you we inter are i talked about that last time i think yeah. and in this interbeing you really experience when you live with six other people in a room and you you practice with 200 people in the dining hall eating in silence, walking outside in silence. So in a way, it helps you to really come back to yourself because you are in silence, you're with yourself. That's just what I said about the demonstration thing. But at the same time, you're always also surrounded by people. And it's not important what you wear or how you look. But what's important is your heart and what you bring to the table, like how you contribute to the community. So when I came back to my very, very individualistic and also in a way, lonely life sounds so pitiful, but like in Berlin, you know, there are many, many people living alone or also because it's such a big city, you don't have a group of friends that meets every day, like in a village or whatever, you know, it's just more scattered. And so conveying this experience to my friends and family, I found that very difficult because people may sometimes said, what, you cannot wear skirts? One of my friends, she's a little rebellious and I love that. But I said, yeah, you don't wear skirts that are too short or whatever things that show your bosom because of respect what i i don't allow anyone to tell me what to wear and what not to wear and i was like uh, yeah mm. okay so this is this is the kind of stuff that you have to live that you have to experience and that is very hard to to convey as an experience also how identity can be the non-self it's not only about myself it's about my ancestors it's about everything that came together to to make this this person that i am today and being aware of that i that i'm functioning as an individual but at the same time i'm surrounded by elements that that I don't have control over, that don't, that are unknown to me, and all of my ancestors that 
I I don't know, you know, like, and this is also something that that is my identity, but it's my larger self. And this this notion of the larger self, you get very clearly when you live in a community, maybe not only Plum Village, but this was my experience. Yeah, no, I in reading this this book and uh, again uh, listening to some of the things that you said, some of the things that other people have talked about, but with this book as well, this um, a Western, shall we say, uh, psychologist or um, psychiatrist lived for I think eight or nine years in a community. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how. If I if somebody says to me now, Zach, would you like to go and live in this community for six or seven months? I'm like, okay, in that, I'm, I'm <laughs> who's going to pay the bills? Um, so it, this kind of, yeah, I can't necessarily automatically relate to that kind of decision. Although I think it would be a fantastic thing to be able to do. Um, obviously, there are like um, temples where you can go to for just an evening and and share in a sense of community and that doesn't require this huge sacrifice um but from what i read basically what you just said as well it's exactly that there wasn't only the case that the, the teachers um would communicate with the practitioners because it wasn't always necessary different people pick up things at different speeds and so therefore you know if I'm there with somebody for the first time the other person would perhaps learn a certain principle more quickly than I would notice that I'm struggling and it is the way of the community that the people would then themselves come and help um, that I wouldn't necessarily have to go to a teacher or that the teacher wouldn't necessarily be the first person to notice that I was struggling but the other people are in it and as you said you're on the path together um, and the best way to stay on the path, not reaching a destination, is to help people uh, along the way. So I, I find this sense of community, this strong connection between uh, practitioners uh, to be very healthy. I, I was just thinking of a, of a quote uh, that I think, I think the Buddha said to his disciple Ananda, he was his cousin and his best friend, but at the same time, his his assistant, his attendant. And he said something like, you know, Ananda, spiritual friends make half of the path or the the wealth that we have and the riches that we have. And then I think he thought for a moment and he said, no, it's not true, Ananda. They make 100 percent, hmm. you know, like without spiritual friends. It's very, very dif difficult. And spiritual friends can be people from different traditions, from different ages, you know, like just people who support you and who you support, as you said, when you struggle, they know you, they can see it. You can always you can come to them and ask them for support and ask them, who am I? <laughs> the hell am I? What's going on with the world? Why are we here? What's the purpose of the universe? And they might just sit and smile and say, look at the clouds. Does a cloud ask itself, am I part of the sky? Am I a member of the sky? Like you can very much turn to the natural world too, the so-called natural world, to understand that things just are. And I think this identity thing is very, very human, right? When you when you look at the Thich Nhat Hanh once was asked, how can I be myself or how can I be my best self? Something like that. And he said, you know, like a pine tree is just it's just being a pine tree 
is the best thing that this tree can do is just being a real pine tree. And we as humans ask ourselves, what the hell does it mean to be a human? Like I'm born as a human and still I'm asking myself, who am I? Lilac, Zach, the earth holders, Plum Valley, whatever. What is this? And and in, in Zen, you just try to to see things as they are and just accept what is there, right? If it's it feels shitty, okay, it just feels shitty, it will go away. If it feels good, nice, it feels good, but it will also go away. And so the thing with identity also in Buddhism is that it's nothing that is that that is not changing because everything is changing. So your identity is also changing. And the more you cling to an idea of who you are or who you're supposed to be, the more you will suffer, right? Yeah, this is also a really interesting part of, of the book. And also a bit about what you just said with your friend, oh, you can't wear a skirt and, and, and so on and so forth. And I mean, this is maybe something we can come back to because I'm always interested in uh, how society and belief, certain beliefs structure themselves and whether or not it's patriarchal, matriarchal and so on. But I mean, yeah, we could talk about that. Look, Buddhism and feminism, we could talk about this maybe at a later date because I think it's a really interesting topic. Um, but basically what, if I decide to dress in a certain way, am I presenting myself or am I living up to what I think the external world sees me as being? Um, so, you know, when I do my hair in a certain way, whatever's left of my hair, when I put a hat on, when I wear a certain kind of coat and so on, am, am I projecting who I really am? Or am I projecting what I want other people to see? Or am I trying to satisfy other people through that? I don't know, Zach. Yeah, I, I don't know either. I mean, that's why. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this is the question that was put in the book. And, and I found it for some people, it was important um, that they had to always appear perfect, regardless of the situation. Um and we see this also in movies. Okay, it's just, I know it's it's a bit shit to say in movies, but you you have you have certain people they they they've just been involved in a fight, and in the next scene their hair is perfect. Um, you know they're not sweating at all. They're not you know their skin hasn't changed color. There's no difference whatsoever. Um, and we know that that just can't be the case. That's just not possible. But it's what has to be projected to people that a person who is a hero or a heroine who is in control always looks good and that's crap right I, i'm just having like kind of pictures images in my in my head right now <laughs> mm, yeah it, it is a very it is a very intriguing topic because for me the 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 easiest way to put it is that it doesn't mean just because we don't have a, a an ego like an or we don't have a, a in buddhism you don't have a soul that is that is not changing because everything is changing, but it doesn't mean that you're not there. You are there, but it means you are, you have a certain form which appears to be steady, but it is changing all the time. And we know that we know that electrons, atoms, everything is moving. Everything is electricity and whatever. We know that from science, but we don't feel it because it doesn't seem like it unless we practice. 
And when we when we start to practice, we can look deeper. We can have insights into that. And also our concept of identity will change. And maybe it, this is a little paradoxical, but we can be more authentic because you were touching on the topic of authenticity, right? Am I being authentic when, I, when I'm putting that hat on? Or is it just something that my mother, my father, my boss would like me to wear? Is it an, a true expression of how I'm feeling or of I think identity has a lot to do with values also. Right. And you have a very strong um, foundation of values in, in, in Buddhist teachings. So this is what I really like. It's not it's not neutral. It says we need to be compassionate with ourselves and with all beings and may all beings be happy and peaceful because we The Buddha said there is suffering, there is dissatisfaction. This is just uh, the the human condition, and it's a condition of life of all living beings. And so, because this is hard enough, we should cultivate um, positive feelings and and a positive mindset towards ourselves and other beings, because that makes it easier, right? And that that can help us also enjoy this life that is there. And so this this also is a part of when I speak about myself of my Buddhist identity or or something that goes very well together with my the values that I bring from my family from my ancestors whatever and and I found that reflected in Buddhist teachings and so this this um, this melted and helped me have a very authentic expression of my spiritual practice or life you know again this also hits on some interesting points because before i ventured upon this path um and i think a number of other people would also agree this sense that spirituality is um is okay not random but completely it's you can't touch it it's not tangible it's it, it, it has nothing to do with my reality and so on and yet The actual things that I learned um, and I continue to learn is that that's completely the opposite. This sense of spirituality seeks to put you more into contact with with who you are, but also reality, understanding reality, being able to identify reality. We cannot do that without spirituality or without accessing our spiritual selves. Amen. Um, yeah. And, and, and that's just that for me was like, oh, oh okay. That's cool. Um, I, I'd never thought of it in that way, you know. But you, the way you you just uh, put it into words was was fabulous. I think that was very very so well said. I, I'm happy I recorded it. Cool. <laughs> And I think I may maybe that's a good point to wrap it up because we could go on for hours and hours and maybe enjoy <laughs> ourselves. But maybe the listeners would be completely. I don't know, confused and in an identity crisis, which is also a big chance, by the way, like mm. not to believe I am this, I am that, but to say, okay, like, who am I? Maybe it's the, the question is, is very helpful just to explore life and this, this mind that we have been giving and this space, inner space, uh, more. So I, I, I wish us all a, a small, nice identity crisis to to be able to practice and to grow 
that's a good place to to end it. I'm always happy, Lilek, to learn from you. Um, and um, yeah, it's actually nice to start contributing too. So thank you again for your time too. Thanks for your challenging topics and questions. <laughs> and a mic.